and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky, and as always, I'm joined by Greg. How are you doing this week, Greg? Very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Very well. I noticed that you're that you're drinking out of uh, an oversized Sports Direct mug there. <laughs> I think I f- I feel like that's like that mug is going to become like a. I'm trying. Th- I was trying to think of something to compare it to, you know, like a sort of classic bit of like 1960s furniture or 1970s furniture. Like when when people think about like the the early part of the 21st century, you know, or they do these sort of collage. You know, they like, they like imagine like your grandson or daughter at school in like 2050. Like you got you got to make a collage about what life was like in the early 21st century and there'll be a big picture of a big sports direct mug in the middle along with like a big picture about fucking COVID-19. <laughs> you think a sports direct mug is up there with COVID-19? I, I think it'll be, you know, like a sort of dance set record player is always associated with like the late 1960s or a Hoover, you know, like the old bag Hoover. Like a big sports direct mug I think will be the kind of pop culture household item that people will use when they're recalling the early 21st century. I, I couldn't resist. I, to be fair, I've never purchased anything from Sports Direct before. And I just happened to be looking for a pair of trainers online for walking the dog. Like a nice cheap pair of waterproof trainers because the trainers that I used to use to walk him had gotten a bit wrecked. So... I thought it's time to invest in a new pair. Didn't want to spend too much money, although I wear them twice a day every day, so, you know, technically I should probably. And I came across Sports Direct's website, not in that way, but I looked at it and I was like, yeah, there's some really good stuff on here. (laughs) So I ended up buying like a pair of gloves and two pairs of trainers um, (laughs) and a a (laughs) tracksuit. Uh, two jumpers, two t-shirts, and I couldn't resist buying a big mug. <laughs> it was like two quid. So I was like, why not? And it only cost like about six quid to get it shipped over here. So I was like, yeah, that's a bargain. So I'm going to be buying more stuff from Sports Direct in future. When when we, when we lived in Kuwait, uh, there was a Sports Direct there, bizarrely. Like, like the last place that I would expect to see a Sports Direct. But my daughter was going. She was going away on a, on a school trip to Ras Al Khaimah in the UAE. First time on a school trip where they were going and staying away from home and stuff. And it was they were doing a lot of outdoorsy things like canoeing and kind of wall climbing and all that sort of stuff, team building games. And she needed some bits and bobs, so we went to Sports Direct. And it's such a funny shop because, as well as all the sports gear, they sell just fucking random stuff like picture frames stationary. My youngest daughter wanted these this set of lady weights and she was only like I don't know, I mean, this was like two years ago so she'd have been like eight and she's like crying to get these a set of weights. So like small weights for that women might use. When, I'm not saying that women can't lift heavy weights <laughs> before anybody fucking starts furiously typing out an email. They're the sort of weights that ladies might hold in their hands when they're doing aerobics or perhaps gentle exercise. And she was fucking kicking off because I went by them. But they also had, they had, they had kids' wetsuits for the equivalent of about four quid. 
Yeah, it, it's amazing some of the bargains that I've seen on that website. And I'm like, do I, do I need this? No, I don't. But it's so cheap. Surely I need it for something. That's when you end up hoarding crap that you're never going to use. Well, so did you buy a couple of pairs of Slashinger training shoes then? Or? You know something, you're not far off. I bought a couple of Slashinger <laughs> t-shirts and <laughs> jumpers, but they're they're not Slashinger. It's a, it's a London-based kind of designer that without saying too much the company i work for we're about to be doing a collaboration with him all right and he works he's basically a a bootlegger is how he started so he would take like famous brands and just rip them off and sell t-shirts and stuff uh so he sells these slasinger t-shirts but they are with his brand on it and he sells them through sports direct as well and I know it sounds bizarre that the company I work for would be collaborating with this guy, but yeah. he's he's a very kind of giving back type guy. So right. he sells his stuff very cheap, and it's all about giving stuff to the people, and it's great quality. So you're not far off when you say Slasinger, actually. <laughs> anyway, so uh, what about yourself? You been up to anything exciting this week? The last time we we were we were talking um, on the last episode, uh, I hadn't long moved to Dubai. I was in some temporary accommodation, but last week we moved into our, our own place. We moved into a house, which is quite a novelty for all of us after living in an apartment for five years. But it's nice. We've got a garden. We've got a swimming pool across the road. Um, we're not quite unpacked. I'm in our guest room, which also serves as a bit of an office. There might be a bit of an echo. Hopefully not. I'm, I'm try to go quite close to the microphone so there might be a wee bit of an echo but hopefully not there wasn't when i did a wee sound check earlier i think as long as i don't raise my voice it will be all right but apologies if there is and yeah i bought a car yesterday i haven't well i did the first part of buying a car yesterday i've not collected it yet so yeah been quite busy becoming a dubai wanker (laughs) yeah sounds like you are becoming a bit of a dubai wanker but at least you're getting accustomed and kind of settled now anyway but yeah. if you've been busy settling in, then have you had time to keep up to date with any news from back home in Scotland? Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. I have. I found three stories. Uh, the first one. It sort of links in, and I was going to keep this one till last, but given our discussion about um, Sports Direct and this designer that you've found a, a, a fashion-associated story, related story. So this is Gucci. Um, they have designed a tartan dress. It costs £1,700, as you would expect, from a, a fashion house like Gucci, but it's been mocked by Scots because it looks like a 1970s school uniform. But the other unique thing about the dress is that it's 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 designed for men. So you're you're quite a a well dressed man about town, Nicky. Would you ever would you ever wear a 1700 pounds Gucci dress that's uh, looks like a 1970s school uniform? <laughs> No, I can safely say I would not. I would not wear that. It, it's not for me. Um, it, it's it's not something that I would wear. I have seen photos of this online because I 
well, I work in fashion, but um, so I kind of keep up to date with news. But I had seen this, and no, it's not for me. Uh, I, I can see the appeal, and I can see how it would suit some people, and some people could pull it off. And you, you know, but it, it's definitely not something I'd be wearing to to nip to the local shops. I mean, there's a picture of. Uh, I mean, the other thing about this dress is it's orange. It's orange tartan with a white collar and a sort of white belt. It's a short sleeve dress. It comes down to just above the knee on the the model. Uh, who Models generally look a bit fucking miserable anyway when they're fashioning clothes. But this guy looks particularly miserable. He's even got a handbag on, on a man bag. Apparently it's been inspired by the grunge look of the 1990s. Now, I remember the grunge scene of the 1990s quite well because I was quite keen on all of it. And the grunge scene in Scotland was sort of fuck jeans, Dr. Martin boots, a band-related T-shirt, maybe like the Screaming Trees, Mud Honey, Nirvana, a band like that, or a really tatty fucking woolly jumper with like bomber holes in it. <laughs> it wasn't an orange... Sort of school uniform style dress, but I'm not sure that uh, it's going to fly off the shelves in Scotland anyway. Yeah, but Kurt Cobain used to wear a dress quite often. Yeah, but it wasn't a seventeen hundred pound Gucci dress. It was probably one that you found in a second hand shop or Courtney Love's wardrobe. Possibly, you might be surprised. I bet you that's what he'd like you to think, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was <laughs> very expensive dresses that he was wearing. You think he was spending all these all these royalties on? Uh, like fashion houses to make them really expensive dresses but make them look distressed and cheap like he bought it from whatever the equivalent is of Oxfam in Seattle. The the Goodwill, is that what they call it in the US? No, I think he was spending it all on smack. <laughs> oh, yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah, it does look like school uniforms. I mean, my kids have been going to private school because we're fucking absolutely loaded not really because we live in the middle east and it's the only fucking option unless they want to speak arabic all day every day and it does look a wee bit like the summer uniform that they that they had to wear in their old school only it was their summer dress was blue a sort of kind of paisley blue so yeah that's my story bit of a bit of a weak one to start with but i'm sure you've got a belter I'll go with this first. I saw this the other day, and this, for me, just sums up Scotland. And hey, it's no jobby in the Iceland freezer. <laughs> but this is the kind of news story that the Swally's about as well. Yeah. Now, you won't probably, living in the Middle East, be... Well, you will be accustomed, because they do do, like, home delivery service from the supermarkets. Yeah. So... Often here, you will see like the Albert Hein or the, the picnic with the supermarkets in, in Amsterdam. You'll, you'll see their delivery vans outside and the guys will be you know, taking baskets of shopping into a house and stuff. And I never would, but I have often thought as I'm walking past the open lorry, like I could just grab something from there. But obviously <laughs> I never would. But it's something that's crossed my mind in the past. So this is a story from Falkirk. And there was a Tesco home delivery van driver. As he had completed a delivery, he was approached by this young guy, Dylan Martin, 22, 
and Dylan was holding a broken bottle and he approached the Tesco driver and demanded something from the back of the truck. The poor driver had obviously delivered it, come back with his trolleys and trays, put them back, closed the shutter of the van and locked it. As he was doing this, the young guy approached him and said, I want someone out the van. I want a fucking carry out. The, the driver turned around and said, it's not happening, pal. But then Martin pulled out a broken glass bottle and still holding it, said to him, open the fucking van. Now, in that situation, of course you're going to open the van. Like, the poor guy's a delivery driver. You know, it's not worth getting a bottle for yeah, a couple of like... packets of digestives and stuff. So the driver <laughs> opened the van and said to the guy, look, just take what you want. Because, of course, anyone in that situation would do. But witnesses from nearby houses saw this happening and they saw the driver standing with his hands in the air and the accused, Martin, looking very aggressively at him. He opened the shutter of the van, he leaned in and he took out a bottle of Budweiser. Uh, Sorry, a box of Budweiser. A woman opened her window and shouted at him to stop. (laughs) But, of course, he ignored her pleas to stop. So he grabs the case of Budweiser and he's walking up the road with his case of Budweiser under one arm and his broken bottle in the other, leaving a, a shaken up delivery driver behind him. When all of a sudden, this guy opens his front door, comes running out the, his house, goes up to the guy, grabs the box of Budweiser from out of his hands and says, get to fuck you fanny, <laughs> and boots him up the arse and <laughs> sends him on his way. So our good Samaritan then goes back with the case of Budweiser to the delivery van, (laughs) sticks it back in the van, closes it and buggers off. So our our young hero who tried to get this case of Budweiser had been recognised by several witnesses and told police exactly who he was and where he was. And he was arrested less than two hours later. Fair play to the guy, he pleaded guilty to assault and robbery in uh, Falkirk Court. There was an allegation that he'd brandished the broken bottle at the driver during the robbery was dropped by the prosecution, apparently. But unfortunately for Martin, his defence was that drink had been taken to the state of befuddlement. And to do that to a Tesco delivery driver was an extremely foolish act. It was very, very foolish, Martin. And Martin has got the next two years in prison to think about what he's done. Two years in jail. I, I, this was one of my stories too. And I'm just looking at the picture of uh, Dylan Martin. And he does look like a rat boy wee cunt, doesn't he? And his, <laughs> his, 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 eye, his eyebrows are darker than his hair. He's obviously got some dye through his hair. He looks a wee bit pleased with himself in the picture. With his uh, the shark polo top on, I'm pretty sure that that's not the right way to spell Dylan as a first name either. That's Matt. That's how you spell Matt, like Matt Dylan's second name, like the actor. So yeah, yeah it's just the fuck up all round, isn't it? Different spellings <laughs> nowadays. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, oh, I'm sorry I've stolen one of your stories there. No, no, that's okay. That's all right. I mean, I had a bad. I've got a, another one anyway. No, I, I know what you mean. I mean, I've sometimes you, you do walk past these open delivery lorries. There's no one about. And you would hope that you would never act on the impulse, but could just uh, just fucking help you, just help yourself. Everything's there. There's nobody about who's going to know. But you would like to think you would stop short of brandishing a broken bottle at some poor delivery driver who probably gets paid like eleven quid an hour. No, I never would take anything out the vans. I mean, there's obviously a different story of back in the day <laughs> when you'd had a few drinks and you'd been out. 
you've been to a party, you're walking home at, let's say, five, six o'clock in the morning, you might pass a shop, they've had a baker's delivery, a newspaper delivery, you might help yourself to a wee copy of the Daily Record, a couple of morning rolls, and off home. Okay, still breaking the law, but at the end of the day, it's a victimless crime, really. Yeah. Half those papers are going to go in the bin anyway. You know what I mean? They're going to go. They're going to go back to get pulped. Never sell all those rolls before they're past their best. Mm, I don't so know about that. Yeah, I think the last thing that I stole. <laughs> last thing. Careful that I stole, what you say here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was actually the last, second to last time that you and I were together in Glasgow, and we'd gone out for a few afternoon afternoon beers before our friend's wedding. And I was going to get the train home from Queen Street and I popped into WH Smith with the intention of getting something to read on the train. And I picked up a copy of the NME and I, w- I was so outraged at the how much the NME cost or costed back then. I mean, the NME, I think, is all digital now. I don't think they print it anymore. But I was so outraged. I thought, I'm not paying. I'm not fucking not paying for that. But I still wanted to read it. And WH Smith have the self-checkout things. There was nobody about, so I just fucked off, took it. <laughs> Do you think you stealing that copy of the NME led to the demise of the printed version of the NME? I'm sure it didn't help, but this was years ago. I hope you feel guilty about that. <laughs> I do. I do. That's, you know. But uh, drink had been taken to the point of befuddlement, Nicky. <laughs> so. <laughs> We've all been there. We've all been there in the point of befuddlement. I think, I think it's fair enough. My next story. So this week, uh, it's been tough times for the artistic community. Uh, what's his name? One of the, the the chancellor said that all these people who are professional musicians and actors and such should get proper jobs. So that it was something to fall back on. Because obviously with COVID, there's no concerts going on. There's no plays. We read this week that one that a big cinema chain in the UK is having to close down because uh, they just you know they just they just can't survive. But apparently, Lewis Capaldi. Have you heard of a of a social media site called Just Fans? Oh, sorry, OnlyFans. No, I'm not familiar with OnlyFans. Not at all. <laughs> I've never heard of OnlyFans. <laughs> I I am familiar with OnlyFans. I've yeah. I don't. I've never been on it. I don't subscribe. Um, I've I've never. Yeah, I've never visited the site or anything, but I am familiar with the concept of OnlyFans and what it's all about. Okay, well, for the benefit of people who are listening to this who maybe aren't familiar with it, it's it's basically a, a social media platform which allows its creators to upload any type of content and it's locked behind a paywall. So a lot of uh, quite famous musicians and performers historically have uh, maybe done an early release of a new song or something on there and only their fans uh, get to see it first before it's it gets its widespread release. Uh, it's also used for p- pornography as well. Uh, there's one of the Love Island winners that watched Love Island, but apparently she makes quite a lot of money posing on OnlyFans for, in her knickers. The story is that Louis Capaldi, who isn't adverse to stripping off, he's you know he's not um he's not got like a sort of cl- the sort of classic model's body but he does have the kind of classic glasgow body if you like kind of a little bit overweight a bit kind of peely wally he could make up to 2 million pounds a month 
if he joins the subscription site OnlyFans. It was his twenty fourth his twenty fourth birthday recently. Researchers at Slots Up crunched the numbers to reveal that the dumpy Scott, this is the journalist's words, not mine, would be a bigger switch on than Idris Elba. If he was to sell exclusive images or one-to-one chats, that's the other thing you can do in just fans. If you're famous, you can do one-to-one chats with your biggest fans, If presumably if they've got the money to pay for it. He could earn up to £2,047.00. About uh, pounds a month, uh, and this takes in uh, this takes into account five percent of his four point four million Instagram followers. So I guess what Slots Up have done is they've ta- they've worked out the averages. It would cost them fifteen pounds a month to see Lewis with nothing on, <laughs> whatever whatever floats your boat. Uh, Idris Elba apparently could win uh, could earn one point seven million pounds a month. So maybe, you know, the artistic community, rather than going out and training to be joiners and painter decorators or whatever else the government is suggesting they do as a kind of backup when there's a pandemic and they can't earn any money, just get on just fans and take your gear off. Two million, two million pounds a month. I have seen a lot about this recently, and I think it is because of the pandemic that and I appreciate a lot of people are struggling in terms of earnings. And because musicians obviously aren't able to perform live. And I think even people that do, let's say the TV show circuit in the UK. So like I remember seeing that Kerry Katona had joined OnlyFans. Probably because she's not getting onto, I don't know, loose women or stuff nowadays. Why in the name of fuck would you want to see Kerry Katona with nothing on? I have no idea. But apparently people will pay money for this. In terms of... It gives you the opportunity to chat one-to-one with your fans or with your celebrity. If the celebrity wants to chat one-to-one with you, you just need to follow them on Twitter or Instagram. We've all seen the texts that James Franco had been sending to that young Scottish girl a few years ago. <laughs> and she he'll, didn't pay £15 pounds a month to get those texts. She didn't. <laughs> she, she got them for nothing. Twitter for free, you know, she got it all for free. It was fine. I can see the benefit and hate if that's your thing. And it does seem to be the majority are like Love Island people or people you would associate with that nature. You're never going to see Kira Knightley. Filming's been halted on her next film. Ugh, I'll just join OnlyFans for a month. I would pay for that subscription. I'm just going to say that now. However, I don't know. I can see the benefit, but I really, would you pay £15 a month to see Louis Capaldi's wanger? <laughs> well, the thing is, I was just looking there, right? So... We we haven't been on social media all that long. We're a wee bit late to the party after launching the podcast. We, so we've got twenty two followers, right? So if what's what's five percent of twenty two? So one percent is two point two. Five times two point two. So let's say it's not it's not very many. What about three three <laughs> followers? Right? <laughs> Let me just work it out properly. I'm not very good at the old mental arithmetic. Two point two is ten percent. <laughs> by a hundred times five one one point one followers so for 15 pounds a month or one follower so you and i could be raking in as much as seven pounds 50 a month nikki if we posed an only fans with our gear off or we did one-to-one chats seven pounds 50 a month these are tough times i've got my kit off for a lot less in the past <laughs> yeah <laughs> like a copy of the day the record and some morning rolls. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's worth looking into. 
Uh, there you go, guys. If you would like to see us join OnlyFans, then, you know, please tweet, Instagram, tell all your friends, get our followers up. You know, if yeah. if we get over a thousand followers, then we'll consider OnlyFans. Yeah. Well, that would, that would be 700 and... Well, that would be, no, be about 350 pounds a month between the two of us. Yeah, that's worth it. Needs that. Yeah, well, I'd be happy enough with that. So that's my two stories. Have you got another one? I do. I've got a couple, actually. One does link to OnlyFans, but you know what? I'm not going to go into it. It it, it was about an OnlyFans girl who snuck into Pitodri and oh, right. took X-rated photos of herself. Had you heard about this story? There might have been something about it on the WhatsApp group that you and I and our other friend are on. There was indeed, yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the basic story is the night before we were playing Motherwell, she snuck into Pitodri and took photos of herself in around the stadium, basically with her arse and her front bottom out. <laughs> and, you know, she was in the dugout and in the stands and she was tweeting saying she was the only person in the stadium. Nobody rat me out for trespassing sort of things. Um, in right. one photo, she takes a, bo- a photo of a bottle of Buckfast and captions it, the culprit. So she was obviously up in Aberdeen drinking Buckfast and decided to nip into the stadium and get her fanny out. So she was. So she's she's from Motherwell. This girl. She's not from uh, Aberdeen. Um, no, I don't know where she's from. Actually, uh, we were playing Motherwell, right. but I don't know where she's actually from. She seems to do this quite a lot. She has been photographed outside of a football stadium in Poland with her fanny out as well. So the show. Well, it's, in, who was the culprit that time? A bottle of a bottle of Buckfast, a bottle of what's the what's the Polish vodka? It's not Stolishnia, right? It's like Balkan. Well, that's the yeah. strong stuff, Balkan. That's the eighty-eight point eight percent that blows your head off. Uh, Polska. That's Polish vodka, isn't it? <laughs> that you get in Sainsbury's. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, the, there's that. But a hey, fair play to her. But I did see that she posted this on Twitter and. Uh, I laughed that someone had retweeted it to Nicola Sturgeon um, and saying, surely this breaks COVID guidelines, (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was very good. The other couple of stories I had, a a very quick one as well, before I go into my last story, there was uh, photos of a a house for sale in Aberdeenshire. Uh, It was in Elgin, apparently, and... You know, if you're you're selling a house and you go on to the, the property website, so this is in uh, Zoopla, which must be a kind of property finding website in the UK. And yeah. there's a few photos of this apartment. It's a, it's a flat in Elgin, and it's you know it's it looks like a nice enough flat. They obviously like Marilyn Monroe in this apartment because there's lots of photos of Marilyn Monroe. There's cushions of Marilyn Monroe. Apart from the Marilyn Monroe effect, it's it's a nice enough apartment. Well mm-hmm. decorated otherwise, looks spacious enough. And then there's a photo of the hallway and on the far door and I'll, I'll send you this photo so we can upload it to our Instagram. On the far door of this hallway, you know how you might have like a sign on your door if you've got kids and it might say like, you know, Jennifer's room mm-hmm. or, you know, Tony's den, stay out, yeah? This door has a sign on it that says Cunt Cave. (laughs) And there's a 
there's a lock on the door. You know, and not just any lock. It's one of those, like, numerical keypad locks. Wow. <laughs> so, this, so I don't know what goes on in this cunt cave, but it's it obviously warrants <laughs> high security measures. Now, do you think it could be connected to the safe that was found at the bottom of the Leith, of the Leith River that we discussed on the Young Person's Guide episode of the Culture Swallow? That is a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Now, Elgin to Edinburgh is quite a distance. Yeah, it is. But, yeah, it's 117 miles from Elgin to Edinburgh. Yeah, maybe there could be a little ring there going on in Scotland about yeah, yeah. pornography. But I, I'd love to know what goes on in the cunt cave. If you know <laughs> what goes on in the cunt cave, please get in touch. We'd love to know. If you are the owner yeah. of the cunt cave, please get in touch or direct us to your OnlyFans account. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I, I need to correct you on something there, Nicky, because I know people in Scotland are obviously very, very patriotic, but they're also quite territorial about where they come from. And Elgin isn't in Aberdeenshire. It's in Moray. It's in the royal borough of Moray. My apologies for that, of course. I'm yeah. from Aberdeen originally, so I just think that everywhere everything, around there's... We everything own everything. North, everything north of like Fraserburgh is Aberdeenshire. Fuck that. Everything north of Dundee. Is Aberdeenshire. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like I say, if you know what's going on in the cunt cave, let us know. But my last story, and I promise this is the last story for today, but uh, this was great. And this just reminded me of something that, that we would do. <laughs> what, you and I? Yeah, you and I, yeah. And you know exactly who we would do it to. <laughs> we have a friend, and... Imagine he was going out on a first date. You know, he'd met a young girl and he was going out on a first date and he really wanted to impress her. And, you know, we all lived in the same city and stuff. I'd say chances are we'd probably go along to that bar and just sort of hang out in the corner and make fun of him, yeah? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. I I think it kind of goes without saying. A group of Glasgow lads decided to sabotage their mate's first date in a little bit of a, a bigger way. So... Poor Stephen Durand, 38, from Glasgow, he was on a first date and he took his lovely date out for dinner. They went out to this, it looks like, you know, quite a posh restaurant they went to. You know, he didn't go to Nando's or anything. It's a nice restaurant. And they obviously had starter and they had their main course. And then when the dessert came out, they put the plate in front of his date and his friends had arranged for it to spell out on the, the plate in chocolate sauce, will you marry me? <laughs> so the proposal <laughs> attracted attention from diners and all the staff in the restaurant, as you would. His mates are in the restaurant videoing this and you can see this woman is mortified and she's shouting, this is not ours, 100%, it's not us, it's not us. <laughs> The, the poor guy just doesn't know where to look. And then he sort of raises his suspicions and he's sort of saying, who's brought this cake out? Will you marry me? What fucking cunt's done this? <laughs> was, was this you? His friends come out and it's all a good banter and everyone's laughing and he's like, oh, it's great. And it, of course, this went viral. And people have said that it's absolute quality and, oh, this is brilliant. And people have obviously been asking the question, like, you know, oh, this, this boy's played an absolute belter. So, did you get a second date? No, he didn't get a second date after this. <laughs> I, I do feel sorry for Stephen. I'd, I'd imagine the date was going very well. 
uh, until his mates intervened with a, a will you marry me. That instantly reminds me of something, that story. You remember this because you're one of the main protagonists. So there used to be a restaurant in Aberdeen on School Hill called The Little John's. And many years ago, on a Friday evening, I took the girl that I was seeing at the time out for a bit of dinner in Little John's. It was her choice, not mine. But look, I didn't mind a bit of Little John's. It was good in its, it was good in its day. If you remember, Little John's had very big sort of shop windows. I think it, it was probably a shop at some point in its life, that building. And my uh, girlfriend and I are sitting there in what you would, as you would expect, quite a busy Friday evening, early Friday evening restaurant when uh, three of my very close friends happened to chance walking past on the way to the pub. But they'd had a few drinks already, as was the fashion of the time. Save a bit of money, get a bit tanked up in the house before you go out. And one of these friends, well, the, well, before I get into it, they were they, when they spotted me through the window, they're kind of monkeying about, chapping on the glass, making obscene gestures. But then one of my friends went, well, he took it to the next level, undid his trousers and pressed his cock up against the glass. For all the early Friday evening diners to see. You might remember that. Remember that? <laughs> I've got a vague memory of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I was there that night. Um, maybe I'd left before then. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think you were there at the time. It didn't. Uh, the, the girl that I was seeing at the time wasn't impressed, I have to say. Um, but to what do you be mean fair, she wasn't impressed? It's, it's, it's a decent <laughs> size, mate. I thought you were near there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wasn't there. Sorry. If you'd like um, to see what Greg and his date saw that night, sign up for the Culture Swally OnlyFans account. She was actually, she was less irritated at her meal being interrupted by my friend's cock being pressed against Little John's glass than she was by the announcement that I made that I was going to meet you guys after we'd finished dinner. And she thought that we were out for the whole evening. But in my mind... I was taking her out early for dinner. This sounds terrible. I was going to pack her off home and then I was going to come and meet my good friends, come and meet the chaps in the bar and have a, a right good Friday night out in the town. How long had you been seeing her by that point? Around maybe nine months, eight or nine months, something like that. Ah, okay, it's fine by then, I'd imagine, you know. I'd yeah. be the same if I'm out for dinner and my, my friends walk past and they're obviously having a, a nice evening and full of the joys. <laughs> And getting their cocks out, then I'd be the same. I'd be like, oh, God, I want to be there. I want to go and join them. So you yeah. made the right choice there, mate. And we had a good night in the end. I don't know. I can't remember anything after getting well, a cock yeah. out of You Little went John's. home early, right? You, you went home before before Little John's, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so, before the police got involved. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, this, this must have been around... 2000, 2001. I honestly believe that in the year 2020, that would be in the fucking paper. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah, whoever it was that did that would definitely be yeah arrested and in the paper for that. Somebody would snap a picture or a video with a camera phone, it would go viral, and before you know, be a chap in the door, it'd be the police, and then it's a Public indecency, obscenity charge, or something. I mean, you can get you can get you can get fined for just swearing in the streets these days. Let alone getting your cock out. 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Greg, it is public indecency. <laughs> it is a criminal offence, so it would kind of be bang to rights, you know? I might as well have... Um, he might as well have gone up to a Tesco delivery driver with a broken ball. Might require some deft edit in this. <laughs> I think possibly so. <laughs> well, speaking of police... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Seamlessly. Uh, seamlessly. <laughs> into our our topic this week uh, and the the key piece of, of Scottish pop culture and media that we're going to talk about. And, of course, it was your choice this week, so what is it we're going to be talking about? Basically, since we had the idea to do the Culture Swally, I've been waiting for this episode. <laughs> um, the TV show Taggart in Scotland is a phenomenon. It's, you know, it's it, it, it was sold to 60 countries around the world, so... It's not something that is exclusive to Scotland by any by any stretch of imagination, but it's fair to say it's massive. You know, on previous episodes we've done a bit of a Taggart credit count for the actors that have appeared in the things that we've been reviewing. But from the early eighties until the kind of late two thousands, Taggart was where many Scottish actors got their early gigs. We couldn't talk about the series of Taggart in one podcast, so I chose the pilot episode, which was first broadcast in September 1983. It's called Killer. It wasn't called Taggart. It was called Killer. The series Taggart blossomed and developed from this uh, this this one-off drama. So tonight we're going to, or today, whatever time you listen to the podcast, we're going to be talking about. The pilot episode of Taggart. So tell me this, had you seen this? And obviously you'd seen Taggart because anybody from our generation growing up in Scotland is going to have at the very least watched one episode of Taggart. If it was a a television in the house, you were going to have watched an episode of Taggart. Had you seen this um, pilot episode before? I had not seen this pilot episode before, I don't think. I obviously, as you say, being Scottish and... I grew up with Taggart. My mum loved Taggart, so I used to watch it with her. And I always watched Taggart because it was Scottish and it was great. There's so many episodes that I vividly remember. I think we've spoken on the podcast before, maybe about Nest of Vipers, for example. Right, yeah. And and that is an episode I would love to to review at a later date and watch again. Mm -hmm. And But there are so many that I kind of remembered in watching this but i i genuinely don't think i've ever seen killer before so i'm I'm pretty certain this is my first viewing of it as i as i mentioned before the tv series became a, a great opportunity for lots of young scottish actors to get the, to get the kind an early role an early gig alan cumming appears in an early episode uh ewan bremner who plays spud in Trainspot, and amongst many other things but the very first episode has one of yours and my favourite, sadly, uh, departed now, but the late Gerard Kelly appears in the very first episode. And he's got a, a fantastic role in it as well. He does, yeah. He's, he's, he's brilliant. And I watched an, a documentary about Taggart, and I think it was from about 10 years, well, it must have been 10 years ago. You know, Gerard Kelly, unfortunately, has, has you know, died a while ago now. Yeah. And they, they were interviewing him, and He says, you know, it was an early acting role for him and he was really appreciative that Mark McManus took him under his wing and, Mm -hmm. you know, he was really, really great to him. 
in terms of the, the role and how took care of him uh, during the filming. Yeah. But yeah, an early role for him, and he is fantastic in this. He's he's really great. There's going to be some spoilers in this episode of the Culture Swally for anybody who's not seen this episode of Tiger. But you know, it's nineteen eighty three, so you're going to have to let you're going to have to let it go. The format uh, of Tiger going forward, the way the story's structured and everything, the, the later episodes. I've been in a bit of a Tiger renaissance over the last few weeks, and the thing that that I love about Tiger, that I always loved about it, was it like you literally it would literally keep you guessing as to who the mur- as to who the murderer was up until like the last episode. If you if you compare it to something like remember Columbo, I don't know if you ever watched Columbo. I used to watch it with my granny sometimes. But in in Columbo, you know, you would know who the murderer was from the beginning because the murder would be you would see the murder, and I guess the sort of charm of Columbo was watching the the murderer kind of sweat it out and try and slip past Peter Falk's character and everything. But with Taggart, literally keep you guessing right up until when the last episodes. And quite often, it would totally surprise you. You know, so to your point, for Gerard Kelly, for his character in this, you feel like, you know, he's obviously, he's, a bit, he's, he's unemployed, as a lot of people were in Scotland in the early 80s. His, his wife's going out to work. He's a kind of witness to the... The first murder uh, on the on the Kelvin side, and you know he's dodgy. He's keeping a scrapbook about it. All the indications point to him to be in the murderer, and then it's not until the last episode that you discover who the murderer actually is. I think that's as you say. That's the beauty of Tagger, and that's what I I loved about watching this. Um, yes, Columbo. I'm a massive Columbo fan, and. I think that was the uniqueness of Columbo, that they would show the murder mm. in the, the opening scene so you knew who it was, and the whole point was you were watching Columbo outfox this guy who thought he was, or, or woman occasionally, yeah, who always thought he was one step ahead, but Columbo always got his man, or woman. Yeah, or woman. Uh, the majority of other crime shows like this is obviously this revolves around murder and you do have to kind of guess. It's the classic whodunit. What I loved about this, and I think Tagger always continued it, was, yes, Gerard Kelly's character, Michael, was there as a very intentional red herring. But there were about mm-hmm. three or four red herrings in yeah. this. You know, you, you, you have the jogger at the start and who ends up being hauled back in and you have Alec, the shopkeeper, as well, and and Billy, the boyfriend. They're all kind of in the frame at one point. Again, it it shows that Taggart himself is at each stage is almost convinced that they are the murderer. Apart from mm. Michael, as it turns out, he, Taggart never really puts him in the frame for yeah. the murder. But he's he's kind of convinced at one point that Alec has done it, and he's he's very convinced that Billy, the boyfriend, has done it in the beginning yeah. but although we're showing Michael and, and maybe that's the beauty of it as well that we're thinking ah Jim hasn't suspected Michael so he must have done it yeah and yeah, yeah they, they just pull the rug out you at the the end kind of thing yeah. <laughs> you're like oh oh it wasn't him yeah he, he plays it brilliantly and I, I would like to touch upon Gerard Kelly's performance in this and, and about Michael as a character as you say he's a kind of He's unemployed, you know, but he's got his loving wife, he's got his dog. He just seems like a 
a bit of a lost kind of guy in a way. You see that he obviously loves his wife and I guess you're meant to think he's a bit suspect because he keeps coming home with these random gifts for his wife. Like he's got a crucifix necklace, he's got perfume, he comes home with a fucking video recorder at one point. It's never actually explained where he gets these things from. Like, are, are we meant to think that he's stealing these, or...? It's not um, It's not explained in the last episode he's kind of blackmailing the murderer, because he knows who the murderer is, and he knows that they've got, he's got... He, he knows he's a businessman, he's over, he's got a video shop, the killer. You know, because there's, there's a scene where he comes in at one of the video shops, mm. uh, what they, the branch of the video shop, and the, the guy sends the, the other guy who's working behind the counter home, and all that sort of thing. Yeah, but that's just the kind of the last 20 minutes he doesn't he, yeah before yeah. then he's already come home with the the crucifix and then the perfume and yeah. the, the video the video player is in their flat before he goes into the video shop that's right yeah well you realize at the end that that was your clue at the end of the last episode when you you know when you're thinking back that was the clue right to who the who, who the killer actually was when michael brings a brings a video recorder home it's quite cool seeing all those old 80s uh like appliances and things. I mean that 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 video player. When you when you think about how you know we can watch. I mean, I watched this episode of Tiger on an iPad. <laughs> and the video is about the same size as a fucking Ford Fiesta. It's massive. <laughs> it's like it's it's like Gregory's electric toothbrush from uh, Gregory's girl well, yeah. you know, with a big massive battery pack. Colossal. We can't talk about Tiger as such without talking about Jim Tiger, Mark yeah. McManus, yeah. and. What a fantastic performance in this. And it just reminded me, like, it was almost like all the old episodes of Taggart I'd watched just came flooding back. He's just such a great actor in terms of... He's absolutely perfect. Like, in terms of his delivery, in terms of just the the way he is, I find it hilarious. Stuff they did... A kind of hard-nosed detective at that time, back in, like, 83, would normally be the type of guy that has like a drinking problem and a womanizer and of course Mark McManus had a drinking problem in real life but this is a detective who has a wife in a wheelchair he has a daughter that he's he's worried about he spends his spare time playing Pac-Man and he's not your normal kind of hard-nosed detective really is he? No, I know, but but you you see kind of shades of it. You know, he's in the the first episode. He's paired up with Peter, his you know his new uh, his new partner who has come through the fast track. So he's he's a graduate. So Jim has you're you know you're led to believe that Jim has worked his way up through um, the ranks, probably starting off as in in uniform, going up to CID, etc. etc. And then this young guy, deta- uh, Detective Sergeant Peter Livingston, he's he's put with him. He's his he's his new neighbour, as they say, or as as uh, as Jim says, and he's from Edinburgh, so he's on to a fucking loser with Jim straight away. <laughs> he's a graduate from university, so he's not well. It's you're kind of given the impression that he's never worked as like a beat officer or whatever. He's gone straight in. He's Try to prove himself. He's wearing his university scarf. Jim's just got no time for him at all. Like through the whole first, the whole first episode of Tiger, like this, the first sorry, the first serial of Tiger, this one killer, he's really got no time for him at all. He doesn't give him any encouragement, even when Peter 
does something good or works something out or shows a bit of initiative. He's very, very... He's not very generous with his praise. In in later episodes, the relationship kind of warms up a little bit. But I suppose it kind of had to. But in this first episode, he's got no time for him at all. No, he's a bit harsh with him at times. And I think that is because of, as you say, the kind of schooling background and obviously fast-tracking and, and probably because he's from Edinburgh as well, you know, and he, he doesn't know For sure. Mary Hill. As you say, Peter Livingston played by Alistair Neil Duncan, who yeah. ended up going to America and becoming quite a like a voiceover artist and a lot of stuff. Fun fact, do you know he, who he was married to for 10 years? Reminds me, I did read about it. Someone quite famous. Uh, he was married to Anna Gunn, who plays Skylar White yeah, Skylar. in Breaking Bad. Uh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's one of those things when you read that, you're like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> but uh, as Tagger, you know, and as Mark McManus, he's he's just brilliant. And as I say, it's it's the the way he goes about stuff. And as you say, his relationship with people. And he obviously has a good relationship in the community. I mean, at least twice he says to Peter that I grew up a mile away from here. And, you know, yeah. it's in different locations. And it's the the comedic aspects as well but they're so understated and the, yeah. the particular one for me is when they're at the funeral and he pulls out the binoculars but it's his wife's opera glasses <laughs> <laughs> and he spots gerard kelly hiding behind a gravestone <laughs> it's just such a funny moment but so understated and and mark mcmanus just plays that so well it's funny because i remember I remember when I was a kid and I would watch Tiger with my mum and, and my stepdad and there was always a kind of, there was always the kind of thing between them that Mark, Mark McManus was obviously brilliant as Tiger, it was felt, but there was also this sort of feeling that he wasn't a great actor, do you know what I mean? Compared to some of the other people in the in the drama, whether they were a regular or a, or, or a guest, but for me, you literally can't imagine anybody else playing that part so even if he you know even if he wasn't a particularly accomplished actor and he had a bit of a strange career mark mcmanus anyway because he he started his acting career in australia mm. before coming but he was in he was in skippy the bush kangaroo <laughs> they they were probably the most famous ever australian kids show uh he was in uh, a film with Mick Jagger about Ned Kelly, the famous Australian outlaw, before he, he came back to the UK and appeared in a few sort of uh, kind of social and crime dramas, uh, famously The Strangers and Bullman, before getting the getting the Taggart gig. What what I like about how he plays Taggart in this particular first episode is he's like, the city of Glasgow is a big character in this, all the way through Taggart, but especially in this first episode. I mean, when the, when the story starts, and it's not the classic Maggie Bell Taggart tune, it's a sort of, it's a sort of like almost unsettling kind of violin piece of music. Now, know? we laughed about this, because I watched this with my wife, as you asked, yeah. and I'll come back yeah. later to her opinion of it. But yes, it is this unsettling violin, which I will play mm-hmm. right now.
that unsettling violin that you've just heard, I think that's the only bit of music they had in the entire episode because they play it about 40 times. <laughs> yeah. And it became about three quarters of the way through. I'd kind of said, like, is this the only music they've got? And then we ended up kind of laughing every time they played it. <laughs> Which I understand music budgets were probably quite low there, but yeah, uh, well, yeah. Scottish television. But yeah, it is a very haunting tune. I, I agree. And of course it's not the, the, the Taggart theme that we've come to know and love. But that, that the establishing shot, I mean, it, if they only had one kind of piece of music for the whole thing, it might be because they possibly spent all their money on that establishing shot in the very first episode because it's it's quite a grand, sweeping kind of panoramic shot of Glasgow. Obviously, I grew up, well, maybe it's not obvious, but I, I grew up in Glasgow. It rem- I was a little boy, five years old in Glasgow at the time when that first episode of the Tiger was broadcast. It feels like it's it was filmed in a kind of wind- maybe late wintery or autumny sort of day or uh, rather time of the year but you get you get the lovely kind of sweeping shot of the of the hills and everything zooming down onto the kelvin side to the jogger who discovers the body in the very first minutes of the of the program and all the way through it jim's refers to glasgow as his city my city and everything and you know all the that kind of Glasgow humour, which is which is 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 very much there and up front. And that that scene that you mentioned about him getting his wife's opera glasses out to spy on who's at the funeral, it's quite a you know it feels like quite a Glaswegian thing to do, almost. Do you know what I mean? Or not Glaswegian thing to do as such, but very very much in the kind of the sort of Glaswegian vein of humour. It's in the he's his character is is unusual in itself. Like to your point, he's sort of seasoned, tough Glaswegian detective. You get the impression that he's lived in Glasgow his entire life. I know that Glenn Chandler, who created Taggart, had uh, they had written a whole backstory for Jim Taggart, you know, he, to make sure he, he knew his character really well before he started writing for him. And lived in Glasgow his whole life. Had had, had some problems with crime as a young man, apparently stealing Jimmy Shand records out of Woolworths. <laughs> Before, before following the righteous path onto the uh, onto the onto the police force, you know, and then you, when you first see Jim when he gets the call about the murder, about the body that's, that the joggers found, he's he's in his house. His, like, to your point, his wife is in a wheelchair. It's later established that she's quite an intellectual woman uh, compared to him. He's got his dressing gown on with Big Daddy written on the back. <laughs> but when he's taking the call, <laughs> when he's taking the call, he's rubbing a wooden statue of a wee Buddha. So he's, you know, already. And as soon as as soon as the character's established, he's he's all contradictions. He is, but I I do like that he is. Uh, he's just a character, you know. Uh, when he's in the bar and he's playing Pac Man, and. Uh, Peter comes in and he says, do you want a drink? And Peter says, I'll have a lager and blackcurrant. <laughs> you can buy that yourself. What's your drink? Lager and blackcurrant. You can buy that yourself. Half pint of lager and blackcurrant, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's, that shows the kind of guy he is. But then, yet when they are re-interviewing the jogger, and it comes out that the jogger was obviously out having a homosexual 
liaison with one of his with students. With one of his students. Uh, Taggart's yeah. not... And remember, this is 1983 Glasgow, so we're not speaking the way things would have been back yeah. then. You know, Jim's not horrified or anything, or, you know, he's not appalled, or he doesn't take it against the jogger. His concern is, like, the age of consent's 21. You know, and yeah. he's like, oh, he was 19. <laughs> you know, yeah, the age of consent is 21. It's, well, you, you, you kind of get the feeling that he's seen it all before, mm. anyway. You know what I mean? He's, he's not... His feathers aren't ruffled by some middle-class Scottish lecturer telling him that uh, his alibi is that he was having a, a sexual encounter with one of his students. Do you think he does get very close to, as we eventually find out, spoiler alert, the, the murderer, Mr. Patterson, he does get very close to his wife on quite a few occasions that you almost kind of think, oh, is you know, he's very friendly with her. Do you think mm-hmm. that's more to find out what's actually happening, or do you think that's just his his yeah, way? Well, I mean, he doesn't do anything, and I, 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 you can almost tell from that first episode that he is kind of devoted to his wife. But mm-hmm. almost there is a scene where the daughter and the wife are getting into the car, and Jim's almost like, "Okay, right, see you later." Obviously, as I remember from the series going on, their relationship does, you know, you find out, you know, he does dote on her, yeah. thing, and. But, yeah, you do kind of wonder initially, and of course they weren't crafting the character fully, but, you know, he's he's getting very close to her to, to get in. But I guess that was just to find out all the details about her previous affairs and things to, to trap her husband, effectively, who was the killer. Well, if you if you kind of press on and watch like, the first two or three Taggart serials, like two or three Taggart stories, there's a couple of instances where, you know, he's getting a bit close to... A woman who's attached to the case. There's what there's the there's one episode when one of uh, Livingston's old um, girlfriends is involved, and she's a lawyer. Her and Livingston kind of rekindle things a little bit, but she's also got a bit of information that Taggart wants, and he's he's taking her out for drinks and all this sort of stuff. And there's a kind of suggestion that Taggart might have shagged her. You know what I mean? And, and but it's not it's not blatant, but it's kind of it's just it's kind of suggested, I think, just to kind of tease you as the audience. To your point, going back to it, you know, he's he's very close to his wife. He's he cares for her. He loves her clearly, and everything. And he, you know, he, there's no way that he did in that episode. But it's suggested a wee bit just to kind of get your cogs turning, you know. And, and she kind of makes a suggestive remark to Livingston that she might have shagged him as well. <laughs> so you think Big Jim's been putting it about i don't know I, I i don't think so i i think it's more just a little you know they to your you know they like you mentioned earlier like the humor there's there's, there's a sort of cheeky kind of gallows humor that runs all the way through certainly the mark mcmanus episodes of tagger i mean I, I didn't really watch it after he passed away i think i might have saw one or two episodes and um, when jardine was the main character i, I, I don't think of i can't really think of any that I watched when Alex Norton was in the lead, but I think yeah, I think it's just an example of that sort of cheeky kind of you know you can it feels like uh, Glenn Chandler, the writer and creator of Tiger, enjoys kind of playing with the audience a wee bit and you know like you said before, selling a few red herrings here and there. It's funny you mentioned that because. I did wonder, and it's not a spoiler, because I am going to be continuing to watch Taggart just once every so often. I'm not going to binge watch it. And 
But I did watch this documentary, which, as I say, was from 10 years ago, and it was kind of about Taggart and how it had been so ingrained in Scottish culture. And they did show the a clip from the episode of After Jim Had Died in the show as well, and it showed Jardine taking his office effectively and picking up the Buddha and rubbing its belly and smiling. So is the Buddha a thing that carries on like throughout most of the episodes? Yeah. He does carry his Buddha with him. It, it does in the first couple of episodes. It turns out that the Buddha was a, a gift from his previous neighbour, his previous uh, working partner before Livingston who he had um, he had, I think if I remember right, he had been away to Thailand for a vacation and when he came back he felt that he just couldn't cope with the, the life of a Glasgow detective and you're kind of led to believe that Jim has seen all these horrors and horrific murders and assaults and everything and his old partner just couldn't cope with it. So and there's you kind of get the feeling that it was they were neighbours, as they say, for quite a long time, and Jim was quite close to him and quite disappointed by the fact that he wasn't his neighbour anymore, and he and he misses him, and here he is with this fucking Edinburgh University graduate in his place. So the the Buddha does pop up a a few times in those early episodes. Speaking of popping up, I know you'd mentioned earlier about actors appearing in Taggart and it being their first break but I was having a look through some of the episodes and it's amazing how many actors have appeared in Taggart multiple times as different yeah. characters so in the first episode I was instantly like oh my god it's Freddie Bordley who is a famous Scottish actor who passed away in 2016 he plays one of the like the thugs that beats up Alec mm. when they think that he's been committing the murders he actually appears in a, a later episode of tagger as one of the main characters as well but obviously yeah. as a, a different character and uh, i just thought it was great that you know, i kind of went down a rabbit hole and uh, like alex norton he was in an old episode yeah. of tagger as you know <laughs> one of the suspects in a, a murder and then he ends up you know running the department in in later kind of series but it was uh, interesting to see that in terms of the the mixture of people kind of reappear in Taggart more than once. Yeah, yeah well, we mentioned on um, the, I can't remember if it was the Orphans episodes of the podcast or the Young Person's Guide podcast, but Frank Gallagher has been in Taggart five times in five different roles. <laughs> Isn't Freddie Bordley? Isn't is was was he not in just a boys game in the scene in the pub? He was, yes, like the early scene. Yeah, yeah he was yeah, indeed. Yeah. I remember he was in a he was in a drama set, a sort of comedy drama. I, I, I guess you would you would call it a drama. I've been watching it on YouTube and with Carol yeah. Carol Molden. Is Carl Howben. Yeah, it's called Cow, it's called yeah. Bad Boys, and it's yeah. very difficult to find. And the big baddie is Alex Norton. <laughs> and he's got like a ponytail and he's like this big drug dealer. It's on YouTube. I would love to do it for an episode of The Swally, but the video quality on YouTube is so bad and it's right. never been released properly on DVD. And obviously, if you're trying to search anywhere for bad boys, then you end up with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, not Carl mm -hmm. Howman and Freddie Bordley. So I didn't realise that Freddie Bordley had passed away. Did he pass away in 2016? He died, yeah, 2016. Again, he's one of these Scottish actors who you, you just kind of pop, who just kind of pop up here and there and loads of different things and from the, you know, I guess, well, he's obviously working as, as far back as the 1970s because he's got a small part in just a boys game. But yeah, he's in loads of things. He has been, yeah. He was in quite a lot 
of things and he was quite a an accomplished actor i mean he was in brookside for quite a while and he'd been in quite a few things so i was reading his obituary and there was a quote from peter mcdougall who obviously wrote just a boys game a described freddie boardley as james dean with a flu (laughs) (laughs) a great description of it (laughs) but yeah you're right he was one of those actors that just popped up in everything and like as soon as i saw him in tiger i'm like holy fuck (laughs) it's freddie boardley forget he was in it but uh yeah he just pops up everywhere as we see from everything on the swally which is why this is so great that just Everyone's just yeah. crossing over everywhere. That what you said there, what Peter McDougall said about Freddie Bordley, it kind of leads into, again, a lot of that brilliant Scottish humour, or kind of Glaswegian humour, really, that's, that's in Taggart with the, the chief superintendent. His second name is Murray, so they call him the Mint. <laughs> yes. What's happening, sir? The Mint's having a go. Mint? Superintendent Murray. <laughs> <laughs> And then in later episodes, he's replaced by this chief of superintendent's name is McVitie, and they all call him the biscuit. <laughs> yeah, I had to explain that to my wife when they asked about the, the yeah. mint and why. That's okay. So tell us then, what did what did how did Mrs. Kemp find early nineteen eighties Scottish police detective drama? She really enjoyed it, and it was odd. Obviously, say for listeners, my wife is German, so but we watch a lot of UK crime drama stuff so she absolutely loves line of duty she loves luther she loves Broadchurch. you know we, we watch a lot of stuff like that you know the fall so i said okay let's try you on this it's obviously set in 1983 three years before she was born and it's in glasgow but let's see she really enjoyed it the only person she couldn't really understand a lot of the time was jim so there was a little bit of translation but yeah, she was hooked. Like, we were kind of like, who do you think's done it? And whenever Gerard Kelly was on screen, she's like, oh, he did it, he did it. And then she'd switched it, oh no, he did it. And she was engaged and really enjoyed it. So it went down well. And when I mentioned, you know, I gave her a bit of the backstory about Taggart and obviously showed her how many episodes were available. So it was very much, a, okay, we're not going to binge watch these, but it's good to know it's there for, you know, once every few weeks. Like, oh, do you want to watch an episode of Taggart? Yeah, why not? Yeah. So I think we'll make our way through the series very slowly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's, there's what, 11 years of Mark McManus Taggart to get through. So, you know, it's one of those ones you'll never, you you won't be short of something to watch for, for a, 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 a good long while. I might try, I might try Paula, my wife, on it and see what she thinks. I think she'll probably like it because she, we've watched Scottish films and stuff and Scottish TV series before and she's enjoyed it. Apparently, Glenn Chandler has been in talks as an advisor. I guess it's, I guess like, like everything else, it's probably in the back burner at the moment because of the situation, but there was, they were talking about how they could maybe do a, a kind of young Taggart TV series set in the 1960s, which has the potential to be fucking brilliant, but only if they get the right actor to play the young Jim. Who who do you think could do it, just off the top of your head? Oh, that's a great question. Um, My first thought... I don't know. I mean, we're talking 60s Taggart, so... So he's going to be young, so someone that's maybe in their late 20s, early 30s, maybe. So obviously, you've got you know, David Tennant's too old at this stage. You know, James McAvoy's too old. I'm thinking big budget here. Yeah. I mean, Martin Compton is, you know, one of the 
the first names that springs to mind, Richard Madden would probably be a good shout as yeah. well. But Richard Madden might be good because he have you seen the bodyguard? Yes. So he's he plays quite a kind of doer sort of character yeah. as well. You know, he does. I think Richard he Madden could be yeah. quite a good shout. Who were you thinking? Well, I mean, the kind of obvious Richard Madden hadn't occurred to me. The, the kind of obvious person that sprang to mind to me it was it was Martin Compton and, and I thought well maybe he's a bit of an obvious choice but he's quite a good actor uh, Martin Compton and, and he's not a very big guy and Tiger isn't very, isn't a very big guy you know what I mean uh, Martin McManus wasn't a very tall fella he may, he may be quite good but you know with the, with the right kind of hands on the steering wheel and obviously the right actor playing Jim it could be fucking brilliant right if you make it like a, a gritty you know, as it was, but with a bit of humour, set in Glasgow, yeah, it could mm-hmm. be perfect. But yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to see it. Come on, people, get this Young Tiger series made once this pandemic's finished. At the end, just to wrap up slightly, I mean, Michael reveals that he saw Mr. Patterson kill the, the woman and effectively blackmails him. And he doesn't ask for an amount. He just kind of says, bring what you can. Mr. Parkson says, mm-hmm. uh, 5,000 pounds, which I looked up nowadays. The equivalent to that is 14,500 pounds nowadays. So uh, yeah, it's nearly well, triple the amount. Mm-hmm. Is that a, a decent amount, do you think, if you're blackmailing someone? I don't know. I mean, it's not going to last very long, is it? 14 and a half grand. If you, you know, if you're not working, he, he seems a wee bit indulgent. Uh, Michael is a character, you know, he likes giving his wife presents and getting video records and stuff. That 14 and a half grand is not going to last very long. So we mentioned before, like, right at the top of the podcast, like, how Taggart was huge in Scotland. Anybody of our generation had a TV in the house is going to have watched Tiger at some point. So what are your memories of it? What are your earliest memory of the show? Genuinely, my earliest memory is watching it with my mum. And looking back, I think, I did double check, like Nest of Vipers, for example. Now, I, I remember watching it before Nest of Vipers, but that was in 1992. So I would have been 11 years old. So that's around about one of the first episodes I remember. But I'm sure we had watched it before. But I think that's my kind of earliest memory of Tiger. Yeah, because I would have been about 11. And then I know I started secondary school when I would have been 12. Yeah, I would have been about 11, 12 when I started secondary school. And there was a janitor at our school who looked exactly like Mark McManus. So we called him Janny Taggart. (laughs) And... That was his name for the whole time I was there, Janny Taggart. And so, yeah, obviously we all knew Taggart. As you say, we were all 11, 12-year-old kids and we all knew Taggart because we instantly saw him yeah. and was like, that's Taggart. <laughs> so, <laughs> poor guy didn't stand a chance. So, yeah, that's probably my earliest memory of it. But what about yourself? I remember it well because Killer was broadcast in 1983, but it wasn't the kind of show proper, if you like, didn't start until 1985. So I was seven in 1985, and my memory is literally everybody watched it in my family. You know, when I say my family, I mean like my extended family, like my granny. I I wasn't allowed to watch it, obviously, because I was seven. And whilst Killer isn't particularly gory, some of the later episodes, you'll be quite surprised at how gory they are. I mean, I I think the kind of goriest part of Killer is, um, apart from the, the dead girls being found, is when the shopkeeper hangs himself. And his sister finds him, and you see you see like his ankles as she walks into the room. But there's you know in in some other in some later episodes, it's I mean I was surprised just how 
graphic some of not the violence as such but you know the images of dead bodies and things so obviously as a seven year old I wasn't there to watch it but I used to stay at my granny's quite a lot my mum my mum's mum and she lived in her own my granny and she was quite an active wee woman but she was in every night as elderly women generally are and she watched a fucking lot of television and she only had a one bedroom flat so when I stayed with her she would make me up a bed on the sofa in the living room and but she would she would stay up watching her programs her expectation was that I would go to sleep or I would nod off eventually but she would sit up watching her programs so my earliest and smoking super king fags <laughs> drinking tea so my earliest memory of Tiger and I'm not, I can't remember which uh, serial it was but there's a scene where there's like a plasterer or, a, or maybe not, not would be a plasterer like a tradesman who's taken down some walls and a dead body like a decomposed dead body kind of falls out the wall onto this tradesman. And I remember I was I was supposed to be asleep, kind of watching that, and uh, but I had my head positioned at such an angle so my, my granny couldn't see that my eyes were open. <laughs> and seeing that and being fucking shit scared. <laughs> and, they, and having that image in my head right up until Prisoner Cell Block H was finished, which used to be on really late. And my granny fucked, and my, my granny fucked off to bed and I was just left in the dark, in the living room, supposed to be asleep with this horrific image of a dead body falling out of a wall on top of a labourer. I mean, the, the, but so the, the, for me, Tiger, I mean, obviously, as I got a bit older, I was allowed to watch it. And like my mum and I, and my mum and my stepdad and I would watch it. And I think my mum kind of grew up in Glasgow. So we, when you come from Glasgow, or when you came from Glasgow in those days, and you're watching Tiger, it's all filmed on location. So you'd be looking for places that you recognised. You know, oh, that's such and that's such and such street, or that's that's that building, or that's that building. Um, and we, we especially when we lived in England, so my mum and I lived in England for a few years. My stepdad, when she first met him, it was quite a nice little taste of home. And so whenever I hear, there's, you know, you know, like just there's certain pieces of music that just instantly take you to where wherever you were when you first heard them. Every single time I hear the Taggart theme No Mean City by Maggie Bell those opening chords it just literally takes me back to when I was young and watching it with my mum and my stepdad and stuff I, I, yeah. I fucking love it <laughs> I absolutely love it it just it just it just presses my nostalgia button so I think our who's been in Taggart the most sort of chart on this episode of the Culture Swally probably goes to Mark McManus <laughs> yeah I think so well you say that but I found a fact that perhaps disproves that. So Blythe Duff, who is in later episodes of Tiger, she played D.I. Jackie Reed, uh, was actually in the show more than any other actor, because she obviously was in it long after Marmise passed away as a regular, but she's actually in Killer. Wow. As an extra or something. Yeah, it says on my little fact that Blythe Duff's character, D.I. Jackie Reed, was the longest running on the show. She actually appeared in the first episode, Killer, and featured throughout the late 80s. And I remember her being in one, like a serial, that, a Taggart serial. I think it was the one where the young girls are murdering pensioners. And she's in uniform, she doesn't really have any lines. And she was in uniform, then later on she's uh, promoted to, to be a DI. And then she's in the show right up until the show ends, even after Alex Norton takes over and when uh, James McPherson was the lead between Mark McManus dying and... Alex Norton taking over. So yeah, 
I think uh, Blythe wins. Well, I wouldn't have spotted her in this episode, but I'll take your word for it. Well, I, I listen. I've got. I, I was as surprised as you. I've not. I can. I can tell you where she was in it either. I can only assume that she was an extra or something. She might have been like a young kind of teenage girl in a scene or something like that in the background, maybe. So I think we've uh, exhausted the first episode of Tiger. I get we we could maybe um, pick up one or two of the more well-known episodes of the show in uh, in a future episode of the Swally. We, we could maybe do Nest of Vipers, a later uh, one of the later episodes because it's got Dougray Scott in it, obviously a very famous Scottish act, uh, actor, and it's got Simone the Beeb from. Uh, the young person's guide as well, who gave us a like on Instagram this week, and not only that, but also followed us on Instagram. Oh, there you go. So, if you want to add to Simone's like and follows, then it's only a matter of time before we get our OnlyFans account. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Nesta Vipers probably would be my next choice in terms of Tagger episode because that is the one I I remember the most vividly. So yeah, I think the next time we do Tagger, that's probably going to be the one we'll do. Brilliant. All right, so it's your pick for the next one. I know you were you were messaging me the the other day saying that you wanted to go big. I've been dying to find out since I saw your message. I'm assuming that you've made a choice. So what are we going to be reviewing next time? I did. I thought let's go big, but then I thought uh, I don't know. I've been going around the houses because it's a difficult choice, you know, deciding what to do next on the swally. Mm-hmm. But my decision has been swayed somewhat because I have been watching a lot, and I guess I've just been catching up with it, of Succession on right. HBO, which stars the fucking incredible Brian Cox. So it kind of delved me into a bit of Brian Cox back catalogue and looking into, you know... And that is a big back catalogue, by the way. It is a big back catalogue. It is a huge back catalogue. That is the amazing thing with Brian Cox. He does so much random things as well. I mean, he's done some huge blockbuster films, and he's he's currently starring in HBO's biggest thing, and yet, I think 10 years ago, he was doing like a little BBC sitcom called like Bob Servant Independent, which is yeah. on my list, by the way. That yeah. is going to be getting done at one point. And I consider doing that. However, I stumbled across a 2000 film that I have never actually seen. Okay. And I would like to review because I have read the book quite a few times. So I would like to cover the 2000 adaptation of the Ian Banks book, Complicity, starring Johnny Lee Miller and Brian Cox. (laughs) Okay. All right. I shall try and find that one. (laughs) I I can direct you the way. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll have a look at that next. Right, guys, thanks very much for listening. If if you want to get in touch with us about anything, you can follow us on Instagram, and please do, because we're only a few likes away from that OnlyFans account. And you can follow <laughs> us at CultureSwallyPod. If you want to follow us on Twitter, then you can follow us at, at SwallyPod. And if you would like to get in touch with us for anything and email us anything you'd like us to review or any OnlyFans recommendations, then please get in touch on cultureswally at gmail.com. Brilliant. Well, until next time. Until next time.